you'd like to get ready for the first large portion we're going to read in the scripture, it's going to be Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 9. And, and I'm going to explain uh, the new sermon series we're in to you guys. There's a tradition in the in the Catholic Church called the Stations of the Cross. And, and it's a long tradition, and it goes way back to when, when Christians started doing their own pilgrimage. This is before Muslims ever did their pilgrimage to Mecca. It was um, right, right there. I mean, the tradition actually goes so far back that there's a story that after Jesus' ascension that Mary, Jesus' mother, would actually follow the stations of the cross and no one knows if it actually happened but, but basically you trace this back very far and the stations of the cross are the points that Jesus stopped at on his way to the cross and in the Catholic Church the 14 stages begin with, with his, his trial and, and condemnation by Pilate and, and goes to his death on the cross and this was taken uh, first uh, outside of just a pilgrimage um, and, and tracing the steps of Jesus in Jerusalem. The first time it was taken out of that, kind of extracted and planted somewhere else, was in Italy. And they, just, they set up these 14 stations. So you've probably seen pictures where they would take a cross and they would actually walk from, from one station to the next. And... This is probably popular for a lot of you who are Christians in the 1980s, popularly known as Via Dolorosa, which means the way of suffering. Sandy Patty made that really popular with a song, which I will not try to recreate for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was raised on Sandy Patty, and I've, I've said my words against her, but I listened to it again last night, and it was just phenomenal. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So I, I'm... <laughs> Probably the extent of me being a prodigal son was me speaking words against Sandy Patty. But <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. So Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. What, is, what does that mean for us? And why, why are we talking about suffering? Suffering isn't... isn't if, if I was given my, my choice on what I would want to talk about, I would talk about Nineveh, right? Which I got to do two weeks ago. I'd talk about Nineveh celebrating the salvation of 600,000 people. That's what I enjoy. Um, but here we're going we're gonna to trace these steps of Jesus because there's, there's great purpose for us in this to see that Jesus has gone before us. And, and we're going to look at, at the specific suffering that he, he accepted at each of these stations. We're going to go over the first five today. And we're taking the stations from Gethsemane all the way to his ascension when he returns to heaven. So we're actually going to do 19 stages and we're going to do a little different than the Catholic Church because they have they've they added some that there are extra biblical um, stories like they have one about a Veronica, which is really nice for you if your name's Veronica, 
but it's not in the scripture. So we, we uh, are, are just following this, what you find in the canonical text, what Jesus was experiencing as we look at it, what is that telling us? Um, and and it, was, it was so incredible for me, to, and if you want to go to those next pictures, to begin looking through, these, these pictures illustrate well the, the five stages we're going to be going through. And, and one of the reasons why we're going through these is because we often don't talk about Jesus in real terms or in real, using real words. Um, oftentimes we, we talk about him like we talk about pixie dust or something else like that. You know, we, we, don't, we don't talk about him as, as a flesh and blood man who lived and, and that the actual events, the stages of this, the cross and other things he experienced in his life are recounted to us because they, have, they still have powerful effect. Those things that actually happened actually have powerful effect on our lives. And, and so the stations of the cross were meant to, to, for us to visually walk through and relive them in some sort of way. And the reason why we're going through now is to, is to really relive that and to some extent to hear about it and to start processing what did that mean when Jesus said that or when he experienced that. And, and we can't go in, into the depths that I would like to or we'd just be like, we'd be here for a long time. And I'm okay with that, but I, I just assumed you weren't. Um, the, the, the second thing is, the reason why, and I, is that some of you guys might be thinking, well, you know, I don't remember this being Catholic. You know, Daniel definitely isn't a pope or a bishop, and I'm not. Um, but... I think these things are really valuable because oftentimes we forget that we are Catholic, right? We're not Roman Catholic, but, but we are Catholic, right? And, and the basic tenets, even of the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church right now, is that we are one holy apostolic and Catholic Church, and we are, right? Jesus isn't coming back for multiple brides, Right? He's coming back for one bride, and we, we, share, we share the central message of the gospel. And so it's important for us to remember that, that this Jesus, that they, they've been walking the road, um, and now we join them in those, following those stations. It's important for us to remember we're not the first ones. And we're joining people all around Bremerton, and we're joining people all around Kitsap County, and the rest of the world who are celebrating this too. So, you know, we talked about being alone. We're, we're not alone. We know that, and it... God provides a lot more in relationships. We'll talk about that. But, but especially in our, our faith, we're not alone. Right? And there's a whole history, flesh and blood history that we look to. Um, so when, when our emotions are going one direction, we can look again and say, man, what did that, what did that look like for Jesus? What did he ex- really experience? What was going on in his heart and mind that I can, I, I can kind of gain access to through this? And, and it really helps us in the present reality of what we're going through. If you had looked on the Kitsap Sun website yesterday, these would have been the five articles that you would have read. The first is that the unemployment is reaching almost 10%. The second, and, and obviously news doesn't usually report that the sun shone for six hours. It's usually just that it rained for four. But... The second was that 
the, a, a woman held up or tried to hold up uh, a bank in Silverdale on, was it Thursday? On Thursday for $50,000 and she, she claimed she had a bomb and so there was the bomb squad there. Um, you, would have, you would have read that there was a man, uh, 29 years old, who was, was jumped about two blocks away from me and my roommate's house on Saturday night. And he, quote, heard a noise that sounded like a metal bat hitting his head. <laughs> sounded like, I don't know. Yeah. I know what a metal bat sounds like hitting a baseball, but it probably has the same sound. 22-year-old sailor angrily punched the guy in the face twice, hospitalized him, airlifted to Harborview. Right, this is crazy stuff right, going on. And, and granted, hopefully none of you relate with that too closely, other than that you, you, you know, share a zip code with them. But, but in our lives, we experience... So what suffering is, what's the, the definition of suffering is literally this. It's, it's the experience of pain, inconvenience, loss, or discomfort. So it's, it's kind of... It's, it's kind of, you don't really can say, like, you can, can't place it like, a, like maybe a, a definition, like, like what, is, what is hurt? You know, what is that? Well, well okay, I can, I can explain hurt a little better than suffering, because suffering is this, it's not as tangible as an experience. Um, but in the subjectivity, we find Jesus speaking a very broad word. And, and this is what I mean, is that, is that when Jesus walked on the earth, he said things like this. Well, is it, this is going to be like a curveball for you guys. Is it easier to give someone back sight or to forgive them of sins? Right? And you're like, well, is there like their third option? <laughs> you know, what, what's easier? Is it easier to, to live by, by bread or by simply reading the Bible? Right? And you're like, ah, oh. like, <laughs> like I, I want to say just reading the Bible, but, but I, I need food too. Right? And so the, the, the greater all-encompassing word Jesus is speaking is one that, that when, when he comes and he begins sharing life with us in human form, we begin to, to realize that he's not only sharing our experience, but he's, he's taking us deeper to this place where, where he's like, he alone can be the tour guide there. And so literally as we walk along these stations of the cross, we're just kind of watching him, watching him as we go, and we're learning what it means that maybe, maybe he can give the person back sight and forgive their sins, right? Maybe, maybe he can give us the word of God that we've needed for so long, and he can give us bread. Maybe he can give us both those things. But the interesting thing is I think we really learn these things as we participate in his suffering. If you remember one quote from this whole time, it is this. It's profound. Jesus walked smack dab into the middle of our suffering. That's, Jesus walked directly into our suffering. Right? The, the God who eternally should be celebrated entered 
the epicenter of our need. And, and we, we see that so clearly in Isaiah 53. So if you are there, I'm just going to read the first nine verses of, of that chapter. And we'll see how, that even though these were written, these words were written hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came, how spot on they are. And so we're going to, as we walk through these, these positions of suffering, uh, we're going we're gonna to see how they relate. Isaiah 53, 1 through 9, it says this. You may stand if you'd like, yes. See, if one person does it, everyone's got to do it, okay. <laughs> Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carries our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he has done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Amen. You're going to be seated. We're going to... I wanted to read the whole thing, but, but I feel like I'd be stealing from the next sermon, so... So as we enter the first station of the cross, Jesus' prayer alone in Gethsemane, we find Jesus taking his disciples from this last supper, from this communion they shared together, to a garden called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And as they kind of settle down, find their own logs to sit on, Jesus says this, he says, he be, well, it says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And literally, this is what he shares with his, his three closest friends. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Stay here, keep watch with me. What is Jesus doing here? You know, it kind of reminds me of what Angelic was just talking about. What Jesus is doing here is, He's reaching out. Right? He's literally sharing so much in our humanity that he's extending the request that someone would just be with him. And I don't think we oftentimes allow Jesus that vulnerability. Right? Oftentimes we have Jesus, like Superman, standing there 
<laughs> right? And let Satan do your worst. And, and we don't allow Jesus that vulnerability. But, but these words, if we take them accurately and true, and if, they, if we really give them the power and the meaning they have, we will read in them the full effect of my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In, in a Hebrews 4, and I know, I know many of you are probably familiar with this, but, but consider this in the light of, of what Jesus is experiencing. In Hebrews 4, 15, it says, For we do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So we have, we have a high priest, we have a Jesus, we have a, a Savior who is able to sympathize because he has been tempted in every way. Do we believe every way? So the first suffering is a suffering of loneliness that he experiences. And, and if we believe this, we believe the vulnerability that Jesus is going through here It's an incredible thing for the Christian because what that's asking us to do is ourselves acknowledge our vulnerability. And that's what the, that, that is what the stations of the cross. If Jesus goes there, we're I mean, if, the, if God goes there, that should give us the protection to open up, right? And, and the, the cross not only allows us the space to open up, but it literally peels back those layers on us. A.W. Tozer, in a beautiful little book called The Radical Cross, he says this. He says, The cross will cut into our lives where it hurts the worst, sparing neither us nor our carefully cultivated reputations. It will defeat us and bring our selfish lives to an end. Only then can we rise in the fullness of life to establish a pattern of living holy, new, and free. Right? And so as we have Jesus who goes there first and he allows himself to be vulnerable where we may not want to be vulnerable with other people. And he creates that space for us to be vulnerable to say, I'm suffering. Can you keep watch with me to reach out? Right? If Jesus is going there, he allows the space for us to go there. If he was tempted in every way, are we willing to say, I too have been tempted in that way. And so when Jesus leaves, he comes back and he finds his disciples sleeping. And I'm sure they had a lot of really good reasons to sleep. And I'm, I'm sincere, I'm sure they did. And, and it reminds me, you know, I, I, I do a lot of meetings during the week and, and whenever I ask somebody how they're doing, they always tell me they're busy. Um, you know, like they're the only one, but, um, but, you know, I think, I think some of us get so busy with being busy, you know, like, if you tell me you're busy, that really tells me nothing about yourself, <laughs> like, like, so I should start saying, how are you doing, busy? You know, and so they can just kind of fill in the blank, but, but that's probably what the disciples were thinking, you know, why are you sleeping? Well, we had a busy day, we, a, we were, we were busy, we were busy, I mean, being busy, you know, you know, 
And you're like, yeah. <laughs> so we got to like fill in the blank. But that's, that's us, right? Can you keep watch with me? No, I can't. <laughs> and so Jesus comes back. But think of what he's sharing at this time. Ephesians, Hebrews 5, this, this hit me in the face about five years ago. Hebrews 5, 7 says this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Right? He offered up loud prayers and cries alone. Right? Because would, would we keep watch with him? No. No, we wouldn't keep watch with him. So his suffering of loneliness and submission. And, and I encourage us now to just, all we can do is kind of watch from a distance. We know we're with the disciples in this one, right? Um, and that's where Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, alone. Right? Who has believed the message? Were the disciples believers yet? Well, I mean, they enjoyed being fed. Right? They, I mean, they enjoyed the crowds. But we're, I don't know. <laughs> who, who has believed the message? And, and you can see as he approached that place of suffering, they were the first ones to say, don't go there. Don't. Why would we want to go to that place of suffering? And so Jesus was alone there. The second station is the station where Jesus was arrested. So as we move into this next station where Jesus is arrested, the segue that the Bible provides is Jesus saying, he wakes them up and he says, rise, your betrayer is at hand, right? The betrayer comes. And so the second suffering we're going to look at is the suffering of betrayal. Um... Betrayed with an intimate kiss, right? A kiss, which means something different in every culture. But it's always, it's always a sign of, of welcoming or greeting or affection or intimacy. But now it was a sign of betrayal, right? And what do you think, what do you think Jesus could have said? If, you know, if you've experienced betrayal, and there's a lot of, lot of stages of that, um, what do you think Jesus could have said to him? to try to keep him from, from doing it. He could have said something like, don't you remember, Jesus, when I called you? Uh, you were, I mean, you were just part of a wandering man of assassins through the, that's what people think, you know, through the, through the desert. You were just picking off Roman soldiers and I called you and now you're, man, remember the difference it made in your life. Right? You didn't have to do that anymore, but you could, you could partake with me. Remember, remember when we hung out in the boat together and we caught a good fish? Right? Remember when the, the horse got out and it ate your favorite shirt? Right? You could have just started sharing stories. Remember the times we had together. Why would you betray me? Why would you do that? And that's literally what Jesus said. You, right? as he approaches Judas, but Jesus willingly gave himself up. And, and part of the reason for that is, is that we have a high priest who can sympathize us, with us in every single way. And the suffering of betrayal was one that he felt many times because right after Judas betrayed him, the rest of the disciples abandoned him. Um, and this, as we tell this, 
This isn't like a pretty story. But as we begin watching Jesus, we're like, what's, what's keeping you going, right? Like one after another. And we learn in Isaiah 53, it says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, right? Written 800 years before Jesus came and it's already nailing it, right? You're a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, the third station is this. It's the station where the Sanhedrin tries Jesus. So the Sanhedrin is, is a group of, of Jesus' own people who are putting him on trial. So with all of Jesus' support, fleeing away, he comes before them and, and and it says that the Sanhedrin was looking for a way to accuse him. You know, usually you hope that people have reason for accusing you, and they don't, like, like go through all the, you know, work of, you know, raiding your garden party and, and bringing you to the Sanhedrin. <laughs> but it says they had him there, and they were looking for a way to accuse him. They were looking for someone to come forward. And eventually someone comes forward, and, and the, though they were looking for a false accusation, the accusation they, they finally came up with was one that Jesus had actually said, where he says, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Huh. That took our ancestors years to construct. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know. But they, they were satisfied with that. And so they accused him with it. And the interesting thing is this is while Jesus stands silently the whole time, finally, the Sanhedrin kind of, they, they makes it clear, and the, the high priest says, I charge you under oath of this. And he says, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, yes. <laughs> well, that's all they had to ask, that's all they wanted. And, and of course, if you claim to be God, you're going to get killed. So Jesus says, Jesus says, Yes. But the, the suffering he, he f- finds here is a suffering of accusation. Right? And we're going to look at this in two more from now. But it's such a profound verse in, in John 1 where it says, He came to those who which were his own, but they did not receive him. Right? He came to those which were his own, but his own did not receive him. Right? And so here he is before the Sanhedrin, his own people. Right? The people who are the high priest. Why do they have a high priest? Because they're looking forward to the Messiah, right? They're people who are, are doing the, these outward works of the law year after year after year in hopes that, that the Savior would come and the blood, that the, the blood of the Lamb has represented all along, the blood of the Savior would come, the better word, right, that would come and speak for them and truly free the people from their sins, right? That's what they were waiting for. And, and so they say, are you really that guy? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm really that guy. I'm that guy. And so they, they, they accuse him and they send him off. Have you ever been accused? Accused in such a way that perhaps it was by your own people, right? Whoever those people might be, Right? Jesus' suffering of accusation, he can relate with you in that place. Do you trust? Do you believe that? 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. The fourth station is when Pilate tries Jesus. So they bring him before the the governor of the area. And the reason why they did this was because they couldn't kill him, right? And, And... I think it's a popular thing to talk about. In all my seminary classes, they, they love talking about how Jesus died a political death. It wasn't just a religious death. And it's true. Um, he was condemned by the governing authorities, right? Because only they could kill someone. And so they bring him before Pilate. And they have a fairly straightforward conversation, which kind of sounded like, like the one with the high priest. Pilate says, you know, are, are you are you the savior? And Jesus says, yes, he is. And, uh, and, but Jesus says this, he says, well, my kingdom though isn't of this world. He says, I'm going to level with you. I know you're a governing official. You kind of understand government. And he says, but so don't worry, I'm not trying to take your authority. My kingdom isn't of this world. He said, because if it was of this world, my, my servants they'd rock the boat. You know, the, my servants would come take you over, basically, but they're not going to do that because my kingdom is of this world. That's not my intention. And, and what, what Pilate says is really interesting. He goes, I find nothing wrong with this man, right? And though he finds nothing wrong with this man, he accuses him. Um, and this is where Jesus' suffering is sharing in our powerlessness. And this was a really hard one. Like, I wanted to find a different word to say what he shared with us in, but I, I couldn't. And because how could I call Jesus powerless, right? <laughs> how could I do that? Here you have the, the Son of God, right, who could call, and he, he admits it. He's like, I could call legions of angels right now. But, but how, how is it that he's sharing in our powerlessness? Because he is willingly sharing in our powerlessness. And so the reason why we call this the, the way to suffering and not the way just of suffering is because Jesus decided when we wouldn't decide, where we would not decide to suffer, Jesus decided to suffer so he could share with us in every way, and sympathize with all of our weaknesses. So he shares in our powerlessness, but he also shares, as in this case, here as a, literally as a foreigner, away from home, right? Isn't that interesting? He says, my, this isn't my home. My kingdom isn't of this world. And so as he's standing there, we get this strange relationship where we have a foreigner in our midst, right? Isn't that, isn't that really strange? So he's like, this doesn't smell of home to me, <laughs> Like, if I know if I was home, there'd be millions of angels just having a great party and celebrating me. That's what they do all day, right? We have a good time, right? In heaven, we have a blast, and this is not fun, right? <laughs> he was suffering this powerlessness as a foreigner in a place where he was vulnerable. And what do they do? It says they mock him, right? As he was, le- this was, an, I skip this part. When he was leaving from the Sanhedrin to go to Pilate, it says that the soldiers, it says they mocked him, then they beat him repeatedly, and they said to him, after blindfolding him, they said, "Ha! Prophesy who hit you." Right? That didn't happen in heaven. And Jesus knew he was a foreigner in a foreign place. Right? This place that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. 
right? And so he shares with our power, powerlessness in that way. And it says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. All right? Oh man, he sh- do you see how, how he shares with us? And the fifth station is when Pilate actually condemns him to death. But the interesting thing here is, is a real sense of rejection. So a, a the suffering of rejection. And I want you to gain this in this way, that Pilate, knowing Jesus was innocent, says, okay, I have Jesus who's innocent, or I have Barabbas. Barabbas kills people. Jesus is, he gives people sight, and he heals people, and he does things like that. You know, which one do you want? <laughs> like, this, this should be kind of obvious to these people, I think. Do you want Barabbas, or do you want Jesus? We want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Why would we want Jesus? Jesus lies, right? That's, that's, what, that's what they start yelling out, right? Crucify this man. Put this sin on our children. We don't care. We just want this guy to leave, right? Give us a murderer. We want him more, right? Suffering of rejection. Have you experienced that? Jesus experienced that. They, wanted, they, wanted Barab- they don't want Jesus. They want Barabbas. So in our most profound sense of rejection Jesus shares with us. And we already read in Isaiah 53 where it says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. But it says, but the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Right, the punishment that brought us peace. So as he stands before Pilate to be condemned, We hear the words of Isaiah, but the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so if we go to the next slide, I made a little word picture for you guys. So so the concept we're getting is this. So we have a suffering of accusation. Jesus says he was despised and rejected. We have this suffering of, of rejection, right? All these sufferings, right? As we come to the cross, this is what we find the cross representing, for us. It represents so much. It represents the place where our sin, literally in, in Colossians it says our sins were nailed to the tree. They were hung there. They were kept there. And so in these places that we most profoundly experience and feel, that, that is what the stations of the cross represent for us. Have you experienced have you being deserted or rejected or powerless? Are you a foreigner? Right? All these things, as we, as we walk these stations of the cross, we have to say, Jesus willingly went that way ahead of me. Where we have experienced loneliness, Jesus says, no, you're not alone anymore because of what I've done. Right? Where we experience betrayal, Jesus says, you have security in me. Never will I leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? Right? I did this so you don't have to be betrayed. I won't betray you. Where we experience accusation, Jesus gives forgiveness, right? We're, we're, literally, the word Satan means accuser. And, he, and I, we were, I was talking with some people this week. Literally, as, as Satan is still telling us, Jesus is going to desert you, right? And he, he tells us these words. Don't, you know, don't, that hope is ridiculous. You'll just get burnt in the long run, right? Where accusation comes, Jesus is coming and saying, do you believe 
that that event that ha- literally happened in history, that when Jesus walked that road, what that meant was forgiveness for you. That meant forgiveness. Where we're powerless, Jesus offers protection. Right? Where we are rejected, Jesus offers acceptance. This is what the Stations of the Cross mean for us. And, and, and we, we need to look at them, we need to dwell upon them. For those who come as seekers who don't yet know Jesus, what we say is that this is our Savior. Right? For those who are Christians and say, man, by faith, that is my Savior. What this means for us is this is the way we walk. Right? When you experience suffering of any kind, we have one who goes before us. Right, and we're just walking in his footsteps. So I, I ask us as we go and we, we worship, as we take communion together, to consider again that A.W. Tozer quote where it says, and to allow the cross to cut deep into our lives. Right? And it says to defeat um, our carefully constructed reputations. I'm not vulnerable. You know. And and, and let the cross do its work in our lives so we can find in Jesus the one whose wounds do heal, right? His wounds heal. Um, and that's really, that's the stance of our church. You know, we talked at the beginning of the year about what this church stands for. And, and in, simple, in simple terms, it's Christ's healing community. We center around this man, Christ, who went through this for us, very God of very God, And because of that, we can be healed. We can be healed together. That I, Daniel Frederick, need healing. You need healing. We come to Jesus for that healing. right? And we as a church heal together. And then that we can have community and fellowship. Right? So so just in celebration of that, uh, we're going to sing some more and we're going to take communion. And literally that's what communion means, is us together saying, Jesus, what you did, I accept. I receive that. I receive your protection. I receive your forgiveness. God, I, I receive where people have accused me. I receive your security. Right? Um, so when you take communion, you're saying, by faith, I'm receiving that. And I encourage you, if, if you have not received that, man, pray with the person next to you. Come pray with me. Or if you just want to pray in your seat and just say, man, is this something, how do I process this? Um, but, uh, but I'll pray for us and then we'll take communion together and sing oh, Father I, I thank you for your masterful plan and I pray that we'll just uh, you know as what we talked about was so serious I pray that it will bring us to so much happiness, especially as we process these thoughts through the day, the week, the rest of our lives, and we begin to, to address you. We begin to see you. We live so much just looking at our own capabilities, but you ask us to look at you and see, see what you've done and to participate in that. And I, and I pray we can together because it's so, it's so good. It's life. So God, we pray that you'll, you'll bring us together, you unite us in that as we worship. 
In Jesus' powerful name, amen.